0: Let's pray first. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's a lamp into our pathway, Father, in a darkened world that's going absolutely insane. When we open your word, it speaks to our hearts. It gives us insight. It gives us an outlook, Father, that the world can't possess. But your people can because we know how it begins and we know how it ends. We thank you this morning, Father. We ask your blessing on the deliverance of your word. Father, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. I just want to commit the service to your hands, and we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. You know, as I look out in the congregation this morning, it's a packed house, and there's a lot of people I don't know. I've seen your faces, but I don't know your name. So this this is a real exciting time to be here when so many people are coming that has a divine appointment. I think when we come to God's house that God has something special for each one, and so we just pray that the message will touch your hearts and give you spiritual energy to Face the week that's coming before us. Okay, I want to read in Acts twenty-three down to verse six. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, "Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day." And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. You know, Paul, I think, kind of had a hot temper. Some things he couldn't tolerate, and he was going to let you know how he felt about it. But he he said to Strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you white-worse wall, for you set to judge me according to the law, and you do command me to be struck contrary to the law. And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Then Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees. Can the brethren bring the slide upon the back door? I mean the back wall. (laughs) He perceived that some were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out to the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. As I came to the portion that said the Pharisee, I had an expression just about like this guy here. What? How can that be that these vile People were in absolute control of the highest positions, spiritually speaking, in all of Israel. Yet here they were. They and Remember, in those days, it's not like it is today when the churches can vote on accepting a pastor and have more say. So in those days, what was there is what you had to accept. And so when I came to the fact that the, the Sadducees held the highest position in all of Israel... It kind of took my breath away. I think this expression is very good when you look at the Sadducees and what they stood for. I looked up some of the information concerning the Sadducees and the position they had and what they believed, what they taught, how they lived. The astonished look on my face is the fact that these men were rank unbelievers. And they stand—they stood before all the people in the spiritual position of leading Israel, yet they didn't believe anything. How in the name of... Of all that's right, could that happen? How could such low-class people stand in that position where that you were supposed to be leading the people, and you didn't believe a thing you said? That's unbelievable. That's astonishing. It's like sticking your finger in the 220 socket and coming away with that dumbfounded look on your face. <laughs> Quite shocking. Now, the Sadducees accepted only the first five books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. All the rest they discounted. This was what they believed well, I shouldn't say believe because they really didn't believe much that was there. But they said this: this is this is all that God has given us, Genesis to Deuteronomy. They did not believe in the immortality of the soul. They were extremely self-sufficient to the point where they denied God's involvement in everyday life. And the Scripture tells us that every breath that we take, God's involved in that breath you take. And when He says that's it, guess what? Rigor mortar sets in immediately. <laughs> but they didn't believe that God was involved in everyday life. Perhaps that's the reason they could act and believe the way they did because they had consciously rejected what God had given all men to understand. And though they didn't accept the rest of the Jewish writings, it would have made no difference. They would have rejected that and they would stand in much more condemnation than they already did. It says that they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And yet when you go through the first five books of Moses, you find that supernatural beings are everywhere god revealed to man that we're in a different sphere than the angelic beings or the spiritual beings but they didn't accept any of that there's a i looked up in in strong concordance how many times that angels are said to be mentioned 39 times in the first five books of moses and every time they came to that they had consciously just said no I will not accept that. It reminds me of the day in which we live when that so many people are not accepting God's word as being inerrant from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. The higher criticisms that got started in Germany and in Europe, look what it did to the nation of Germany. It started there, but then it began to evolve and come over here. And now then, you have to be careful of the pastor that you choose and check which seminary he graduated from. Because when you go and you study under certain men, you're going to bring to the pulpit what you have been taught, and you're going to deliver it to the people. So if you've been taught, well, uh, it's just it's just man's writings. Supernatural events don't happen. That's just making it real exciting to write it that way. And so there's many in the pulpit today that when people come, it well. Our colleges. I was reading a book, it's called Already. And when you read what these men sought to find out, they went to some of the mainline Christian colleges that you think, well, I send my kid there, they're going to be taught the truth, they're going to be enabled to have strength to stand in this world for Jesus Christ. And yet, the percentage of the colleges that do not believe they, they reconstruct everything and they destroy the faith. A lot of kids that go to these Christian colleges and universities actually come out unbelievers. believers. The church is not retaining very many young people but go into these positions and, of learning and come out strong and ready to do work for God. Their faith has been destroyed and diminished by the kind of teachings that they have there. So the Sadducees, they've read the first five books and the 39 places it mentions supernatural beings. You have, for instance, the serpent that beguiled Eve, well, behind that person, if you read, you find out there was a spiritual being, one of the highest angels in heaven. That just took one third of the angels with him. They said, "I'm going to be like God. I will rise above." He wanted to take God's position. It's all there, and yet they looked at that and they said, "No, we're not. Going to, we're not going to that. We're not going to accept that." And so the result is what we're reading about today. Jesus said concerning these people, "In hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see." And not perceive and I have a book, I click some of these books of some of the weird saying these people can believe because I want to see what's, where they're coming from. And this fellow John Spong, he died in the nineties. He was a bishop in the I believe it was the church, and he literally denied every supernatural happening in the in the word of God. How does a man retain that position and disbelieve what God's word plainly teaches us? He was accepted. He didn't believe it, but he died. In 90 or 91, he believes it now. It's a, li- a little late. What a terrible thing. It's like these people that commit suicide thinking they're going to solve the problem. And once they do that and they realize what they've done, there's no turning back. They've just jumped out of the kittle into, and it can, we need to reach these people with knowledge that there is an eternity and you're going to spend eternity in one or two places. You're going to stand in the presence of God throughout eternity, worshiping Him and enjoying all that He's created. By the way, did you know that the universe, I believe, whenever it's all changed, we are going to be in in a constant mode of learning more about God. They talk about aliens coming down in spaceships. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be able to see and visit all of God's created, and we're going to know more and We're going to praise him more because our knowledge is going to be increased. In fact, we'll never come to the place where we'll ever run out of standing in awe of what God is. That's going to be a wonderful time. But he said that to these people, it's like he's saying it to some people today, you can read, you can understand, yet you reject it. And so there comes a time when you cannot. If you deliberately reject God's word, there will come that time when you can then no longer believe it. Your heart is calloused. Do you remember when Pharaoh... God began to deal with him through Moses and the plagues were brought and he would relent and then another plague would be brought because he didn't follow through what God wanted him to and another plague would take place. It came to the pl- God said, I will harden him. That doesn't mean that Fay was just a real good guy, but God stoned, made his heart of stone and couldn't believe. No, God hardened his heart by the fact that he saw the miracles that God was doing and he rejected each one. And when he rejected one, his heart became a little more hardened and immune to the next judgment that God was going to bring if he didn't release God's people and let them go. So finally, that tenth plague, he let them go. You know what that rascal did? After children of Israel had moved out and was getting ready to cross the Dead Sea, I was telling our Bible study last night that it's interesting because these people, that don't believe in the literal teaching of God's Word they said, well, they didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Sea of Reeds, which is four feet of water. It was easy for them to get across. And yet you read for that, the, the sea parted and the walls stood up. And there's some areas in the Dead Sea that are hundreds of feet deep. And so when the children of Israel crossed through between those walls of water, they were looking way up at that. And whenever Pharaoh came through, God said, okay, let it close. And the entire army was destroyed. Someone said, Well, for you people that don't believe in the literalness of God's word and what it says, you say that they crossed in four feet of water. He says, in actuality, that is a greater miracle than when the Red Sea came and closed in upon them. God destroyed an entire Egyptian army in four feet of water? I mean I mean how how ridiculous can you get? It gets worse. <laughs> when a person rejects willfully rejects the supernaturalism of god's word the inerrancy of god's word it's like a callus. have any of you well when i was a young boy we lived in bakersfield california and one of the jobs that young people going to high school could get during the summertime was chopping cotton if you haven't chopped cotton you haven't lived yet i'll tell you what we had to get up at four o'clock in the morning and the field that we was working in was up by the ridge route where you start going over the mountains going into la and by 7 o'clock, it would be so hot, you was ready to die. And so we chopped cotton, and then we had to quit because it just got too hot. And so that wasn't an eye-opener to me. I better do something besides being an idiot and not be able to get a good job. I better do something where I can at least get a job and make a halfway decent wage all my life. But Pharaoh... Well, I guess the point I wanted to make was the fact that have you ever had a hole in your hand? You go out in the garden, you begin to work, you don't have gloves. It's not 10 minutes until that blister begins to form where you're holding that hoe. And so the next day you come in and you are very gingerly holding that hole so that it doesn't break that blister. But pretty soon, you know what happens? That blister begins to harden over and it becomes a callus. And that callus doesn't feel that anymore. That's the way it is when you sit in a church and the Word of God is preached and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and you say no. The callous begins to form until it comes to the point where you cannot receive the Word of God. You have hardened your heart to the point that you can just walk out without having felt anything. In fact, you don't even want to go back to church because you don't, you don't believe it anyway. That's remarkable. But that's what happened to Pharaoh. He came to the point where his his hierarchy in, in his government came and said, don't you realize that you've destroyed Egypt? And that kind of made, he, made him change his mind. But forgetting the power of God, can you imagine a man thinking you're going to take the children of Israel back in enslavement? Take him back so that they can make bricks, so that they could do all the hard work that the Egyptians didn't like to do and wouldn't do? That's why he wanted to bring them back, because he wanted slave labor. There's been many a person that has said in the congregation, man preaching the word makes the altar call. They don't respond to it. And later on, their heart is hardened that they can't respond to God's calling. But getting back to the Sadducees in their state of unbelief, how did they manage to come to the place where they ran the spiritual affairs of Israel? Unbelievable. I'm going to bring some information on the next when I get to the halfway point of the condition of the today. Absolutely unbelievable what from the pulpit, this Spong that I was talking about. He was one of those fellows that sat on this Jesus seminar. You ever heard of that? They met, I think it was once a year, and they would open the Word, and they had beads in a little bowl, and it would be a section of Scripture, and they would be told to evaluate. And if it was absolutely unmistakably the Word of God on that subject, they would put a bead in a bowl, a white one for absolutely true. Then it came on down to the point that it might have been true. They had another, you know, a question mark. They had another bead they put in the bowl. And if it was not, absolutely not recorded in the Word of God that God didn't say it, they would put a black bead in the bowl. Sitting in judgment of God's Word. In the, it was a conscious choice not to believe God's Word. It, there used to be a song that, Bud Chambers, he was an evangelist back in the early 60s. He wrote a song that said, if Jesus said it, I believe it. His word cannot lie. So whatever God's word says, we can believe it and stand on it. It's absolute. It will not. It's unchangeable. Well, how did these men get to that place where they held all the religious positions and in Israel, the highest that they had? Number one, one factor was that they were the wealthy. There's always a danger in some of the churches that's been established on time, that have been there, they've donated it. In fact, they used to have pews, and you would pay so much money, and this was your family's pew. When you came to church, you went in there and sat there because your name was in a bronze plaque on the back of the pew. This, this is mine. The wealthy, those that donated, became those. You're going to follow our suggestions, or guess what? You get booted out the door. So, uh, men, well, I like my position of the church, and so they would do what they said. Well, these people were the rich and aristocratic class of people, which exerted great power and influence, and had few to run interference for them. Have you wondered today, folks, with this movement of the homosexual lifestyle that's been being accepted by many churches and being applauded? Why isn't there people that standing up against them? Is it because that they feel that they aren't worthy and that they? haven't given enough money to voice their concern about what's being told. While we're speaking here this morning, there are those in Newburgh, some of the churches, that are absolutely excited about homosexuality being brought into the church because that means, number one, they're going to have bigger congregations. Number two, they're going to have contributions given because these people want to be accepted. They pay. They get a lot of money. Churches grow in that manner. And so that's where these the people didn't stand up against them. They couldn't. There was little they could do. And so they said, you know, there used to be a kind of a way that people would be recognized in churches going around. You come to this one church, and they give you an honorary degree. Hey, you come over to mine, I'll give you one next week. So it goes back and forth. Not that they deserve it, but that's the way that... So these people had the power, they maintained the power, and they were crooked, unbelieving individuals that had no place in the position that they held. But now then, let's go back from that time through hundreds of years to July 16th. What has changed, folks? That shocked, bewildered look of that guy's face. Did you ever think that you would see society doing and accepting what we're seeing today? I mean, it's absolute in- insanity. Not only that, but then you look out there, you understand that a little more clearly than you can when you see that same chaotic insanity in the church. How can that be? We're living in such a t- down is up, white is black, sweet is sour. And I think John knows, Brian knows, that if they were to get up and start talking about accepting some of these things that are being brought into the church, I think they know what would happen, I mean, that very moment. I am thankful that I am in position, not a position, but understand the Word of God, believes the Word of God, and follows the Word of God, and hungers for more understanding. You know, when we come here on Sunday morning, With John teaching through the Bible, going book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Dr. McGee calls that feasting on the Word. Because you hit every subject, you hit everything that needs to be proclaimed to God's people. And I'm so glad that I have become acquainted with Calvary Chapel. And I'm, I'm not holding them up as being in a position where they're in faults. Because you, this morning, you have the obligation from the God Himself that you are to make sure that the pulpit remains true to God's Word. You're going to be held responsible if I get up here and teach something that's unbiblical, or John, or Brian, or whoever. If you don't stand up and resist that, God's going to judge you for. Do you want to remember in Revelation where it talks about you allow that Jezebel to it was something the church opened their arms and accepted and wouldn't resist and that's what we are today for. We all know that the world has always marched to a different drummer's beat the church but when the church begins to march to that same drum beat something's drastically wrong. And do you know what that actually means? That means that we are that much closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is scriptural that it cannot take place until the falling away occurs. That falling away is from the doctrinal teachings. the I mean, those absolute essentials. Doctrine isn't a bad word like a lot of people think it is. Now, doc, you're familiar with Dr. Francis Schaefer? He gave some very profound insight while he was alive. Back, I think, in 1980, he preached his last sermon he had leukemia and died from that, if I'm not mistaken. But he had spiritual insight and he warned people. And this is what he says. He writes, the great evangelical disaster is the failure to stand for the truth. He says there is only one word for this, namely, that is like those that allowed Jezebel to seduce the people, doctrine that was demonic. origin. He says that the church today, the Problem we're having is that we're comedy the culture. The culture is never meant to dictate how God's word is to be interpreted. God's word sets in judgment of the culture itself. And how many are accepting that in America today? They're not. If you want to be cussed at, if you want to be slandered and called the very vilest names, you stand up and you proclaim the entirety of God's word and you say it is the the absolute unin. Errant word of God from beginning to end, and they'll call you ever vile. Look, how dare you insult me with that? kind con- But that's where we are. Just as Jesus chastised those people in that church that allowed Jezebel, he has a controversy in church today. Jude three and four says, "Contend for the faith." There's no new. There's no new understanding. There's nothing new coming in that the church says. Well, we didn't know that, if we adopt that, we're going to really grow and do wonderful things. It's not there. Jude says, "Contend." To struggle, to literally agonize for the truth. This speaks to you this you are and you have to make sure the truth is in no error in it. You know, I'm open. I tell you right now, I'm open. I say something or begin to lead you in a certain way that you know isn't correct, I expect you as God's people to come tell me. Because I do not want to teach or to lead people in any direction except Toward the Lord Jesus. Anything other than that, I won't tell me about it. And by the way, you have an obligation to do that. We're to teach sound doctrine. Titus 1 9 tells us, hold firm to the truth, trustworthy, word as taught. You remember Paul was very concerned whenever he was teaching a group, and he says, I know that after my departure, wolves are going to come in. Satan's always, you know, he comes in with every <laughs> every church service. He, he's there to do damage will i he 's very active in some churches right now he's he 's busy as termites in wood boy they 're eating away taking taking things and destroying them now, let me share in closing, I know we have a lot of thinking about that. I want to share something that I was looking up and it it made me very angry, you know just as Paul got angry about how the sad' conducting when I read some of the things that school, I get angry very angry someone says well you shouldn 't use names Paul did. Demetrius the silversmith from his hard time he gave Paul. Paul brought his name. But it says here, Andy Stanley, he has pastors five churches. They do it electronically with a screen and the churches where he can't be, but where he's preaching, his message is ladled out to these people through that media and he has 39,000 some odd people. here. you think we're packed out, folks. <laughs> but some of the things that he says, I want to share with you. This man quite regularly makes arguments that subvert the authority of Scripture and cast doubts upon the biblical Christianity that he's supposed to represent and the authority of God's Word. By the way, John Bryant, he also says that through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, you don't do that. That's not the way you teach the Word of God. In one of his sermons, he argued that the Christian must unhitch from the Old Testament. He also said the virgin birth was not necessary. I would expect that if I got up here and said that, that you grab me and throw me out that front, and you would be, be moving in a spiritual You said, you, you know, you, you don't say that. Well, I don't want to. And that's one of the problems that I think we have, is that we're afraid we're, and have to stand up and toenail to no-nail and nose to nose and say, this is the way it is. This is what God's Word says, and what you're saying isn't true. But this is what Stanley has has come up The virgin birth was not necessary. He just. Disc- credits what he labels a version, listen to this, a version of Christianity that relied on the Bible as the foundation of faith. He claims that Christians should focus on the resurrection and not rely on the Bible. And as I heard, and yet look at the congregation's expression. How can this be? I mean, literally, it should be an outcry. Someone wrote this. We're just about through. Christianity does not progress with the times. If it did, it would be a false religion. Do not be deceived into thinking there is a progressive form of Christianity. It doesn't exist, listen to this, because the truth never changes. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if it's an abomination in Leviticus 18 against homosexuality, it's just the same as it was given then. It's the same that God calls it an abomination. That's the a couple more things here. In a St. Andrew Christian church in Kansas City on Saturday, now have what they describe as a drag-giving Bible lesson to five and six years. And it's applauded. Oh, we are all-inclusive. We welcome everybody. Yes, we welcome everybody, but you don't come and remain in that lifestyle and be, and be welcomed. There comes a time when you need to stand up in godly anger <laughs> say, No, you're not going to do that here. You know, there's a lot of people that blames the church today for the condition of the world. But scripture says that the time would come in Paul's writings. He said that they will not endure sound doctrine. The Sadducees did not endure the sound doctrine of the teaching of God. And so there's there's some problems the church has to admit to. But I'll tell you what, what's going on today is not because the truth isn't taught. It's because the truth in too many instances are being denied and disbelieved. We'll close with this here. In Matthew 24, verses 37 and 39, Jesus said that when these things come to pass, are we really expecting the return of Jesus? Did you know there are prophecies that cannot be fulfilled until Christ raptures his church out of this world? He said that the end will not come until the apostasy, the falling away, the departing from the truth took place. And because there's there's not that power of the word that holds evil back because it says when the church is taken out that the spirit releases his holding back what's coming and then men can do what and that ushers in the great tribulation after that covenant is signed. It won't happen until that takes place, folks. We're not we're not in the tribulation. I believe in a pre rapture of the church before that takes place. God said he's not appointed us to wrath and he's not going to subject us through the temptation that the world's going through, that tribulation. So we can have this shock expression that this gentleman has on his face, and it's unbelievable, the chaos that's taking place in our churches. Who would have thought that our country would boast and applaud the gay movement? A president putting the flag there to America, gay pride movement. I have a hard time grasping that, but I know it's going to get worse. You know, it's, it's not going to improve. And so we just need to look up because the Lord Jesus Christ, even maybe before we get to have some of that good food that's prepared. It'll be better in heaven anyway, guys. That's okay. <laughs> but we need to look up because this may be... If you want to... In closing, if you want to purchase a book by Paul Smith, this is Chuck Smith's brother. It's titled The New Evangelism, The New Evangelism, The New World Order. That is an excellent... This man Hits a nail on the head with everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is. And that light explains to us, Father, these things that are taking place all around us. When we see the, the chaos, when we see the destruction, we see the killing, we see the hatred, everything falling apart. That's exactly what your word said it would be like. And we've only seen the beginning of it. Father, we commit ourselves to you that as a body of believers, we want to hold the word of God up, the inerrant word that can be used to draw men and women into a right relationship with Jesus. So Father, have your way in our life this week, throughout. And Father, we'll just look up and give praise for Saints. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um,
1: I'm going to do my one of my biggest pet peeves as a pastor is when the worship leader decides to give us after I just got But I have to. Um, I was a huge fan of Andy. I I went every year to Catalyst, which was their conference. I went to Orange. I went to, you know, Orange is the biggest kid's curriculum, his church. And uh, about 10 years ago, I was at an invitation-only uh, senior leader meeting with about 70 pastors, Andy Stanley. And he started saying things. And you have to understand, the most influential pastor in America among, no one else is even close at this point in history. And he gets up there and he says this, he's and it's, he's very good at pithy wisdom. And he said this, it sounds wise. He said, all of God's word is inspired by God, but not all of God's word is equally relevant. And I went, and he went on and, and talked about exactly what Harvey just shared about um, expository preaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, waste of time, you know, blood. And, and I'm just like, to see the decline. Um, many of you, if you're older, don't know him. You probably know his father, Charles Stanley. And it's just like, oh, Lord, this is the most influential pastor in America? And those words that he said about we should not base our faith upon God's word anymore, we should base it on the resurrection. Do you know where he said that? Dallas Theological Seminary. You can watch it on YouTube. Dallas the Theological Seminary. That may not mean anything to you. It means to mean something. As somebody graduated from Oloma, which was Dallas Junior, <laughs> uh, we were gonna end with a song. We're not gonna end with it. We're gonna end with the first song we sang. We have to. We're not gonna sing. We just need to sing a song about the from the heritage that we have as the church. Harvey, thank you for what you shared. Because man, you're a guy who's seen a few things. I man, I, I'm sitting there, I'm just listening to you going, I'm sitting there going, man, Harvey, is there, the authority with which you speak, you speak with the authority of God, but it needed to be set. Let's stand up and let's sing that first song that we sang. We're going to sing How Great Thou Art because it's not about us or what we think or what we want. It's about Him. And I know you're not supposed to sing the same song twice. I don't care. Okay.